to Awesome with Allison. And Eric, too. <laughs> I'm Allison, and our only goal with this podcast is to help you feel more awesome each time you listen. Whether it's by laughing at us, laughing with us, or learning something new and helpful, we hope you feel a tad more empowered, lightened up, and awesome than you did before. I am here in Pleasant Picture Studio. He's here. Hey, babe. You can hear him there in the background because this episode is so monumental and stands all alone. We're just going to do a really quick intro and then you're going to get right into it. This is episode 59, Life After the Tough Stuff with Ashley Lemieux of The Shine Project. Ashley Lemieux is one of the most phenomenal human beings Ever. I can't start crying in the first 60 seconds of the podcast. I'm going to have to wait till you listen to the episode. <laughs> we are going to be talking about trauma, loss, grief, but most importantly, healing. So if you're feeling a little weighted down right now and you're like, I can't do this right now. I can't handle anything heavy. I just want you to know this is heavy-ish, but more than anything, Ashley and I are offering actionable tools for healing, and she shares step-by-step what the process for healing and grief and processing some very severe trauma has looked like for her. And I know you're really going to find a lot of value out of this episode, and I'm so excited for you to listen to it. Before we get into it, I want to remind you that we might be coming to a city near you. With our Super Duper Fly podcast tour brought to you by Alaska Airlines. We are so excited. We are going to be in Provo, Seattle, Phoenix, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. Did I forget one? Nope, that's all of them. And those are happening in October for Provo and November for the other dates. And I just want you to know some cities, well, they're all getting close to sold out. And some cities are very close to sold out. And we've only posted and talked about the tickets one time. So I just want to say this about the podcast tour. If you have been trying to think of a girl's weekend or a couple's getaway or something to go to, those are awesome cities to visit. Alaska Airlines would even have affordable tickets for you. And if you are like a couple states from me and you are sending me direct messages saying, oh, I wish you were coming to Nevada. No, I'm sorry, Nevada. You are too close to not throw your friends in the car and get yourself to this party. It is going to be so fun. We were planning details today and it's like I don't don't like to oversell things, but then sometimes I get offended when people can't see my vision of how good they're going to be. So just head to the allisonshow.com because if you're hesitating, just know the tickets really are selling out quickly and you save money when you buy more than one ticket. So it's a great opportunity to take that new neighbor out, take somebody out in your life who you think is you know, experiencing something hard and be bold and invite them because the whole goal of the in-person podcast tour is that you're going to leave feeling a lot more awesome than you did before. So I just wanted to throw that at you. That's at theallisonshow.com. And when we are in Phoenix, Ashley and her gorgeous, he really is gorgeous, (laughs) husband Mike Lemieux are going to be our guest. So I'm so excited for you to get to meet Ashley and hear her um, heavier story 
story here. But when we have Ashley and Mike in Phoenix, we're going to be talking about how they have gotten really clear about the direction of their life and how they are just flying like superstars to an amazing destination. So I'm excited for you to get to know Ashley and the story a little more here. And then we're going to be in Phoenix with them in November. So we're just going to head right into it. I really, really hope you enjoy this. And I just want to say I love you and I'm just excited you're here. Thank you. Okay, this is too good to be true. I am in Nashville, Tennessee. Woo! Woo! With the one, the only, Ashley Lemieux. Hey guys! I, I can't say your last name without saying it like that. <laughs> you said it perfect. I love Lemieux it. Lemieux of the Shine Project and Shop Ashley Lemieux. And overall dominating the world with beauty, grace, kindness, light, love. Can I pay you to come and just... Yes. Say this to me every day. I'm hired. Done. I am hired. Done. And it is the ultimate honor to have Ashley on Awesome with Allison. The thing is, Ashley and I actually have a very deep love for each other. Do you feel comfortable saying that? Like so deep. We're actually just talking about you wouldn't know it from face value, but we are so much alike that it's kind of scary. Yeah. But we man- as Allison pointed out, we manifest ourselves differently, but we are very alike. And my love for you runs deeper than, I don't even know, deeper well, than anything. I feel the same way. And actually, we're trying to get our husbands together right now to just convince Eric to move to Nashville yeah, so we can be together. I will literally do anything to get you guys to Nashville. So... <laughs> I hope this outing with the voice goes well we'll because... We'll start a campaign. Yeah, I hope their date goes well. (laughs) So... (laughs) We are just so excited to have you on the podcast, Ashley, because, like I said, the deep love, but because you seriously have insight that unfortunately comes from really difficult circumstances, but the beauty and the way that you share your insight is truly like a gift to me and to everyone. And after my accident, reading your post on Instagram and seeing your content honestly helped me so much because completely different trauma, completely different situations, but just watching your strength and watching you continue to move even after being broken. It just gave me so much faith that I could do the same someday. So thank you for that. Thank you. We are going to have so much crying. We're going to have all the tears today. So So here's what we want to do with Ashley today. Ashley is going to give us a shorter version of your story to give some context if you aren't familiar with what Ashley has had to deal with for the past several years. But what we want to focus on today, because there are other places to go and hear more details about that story. We're going we're gonna to go into it a little bit. But what we want to focus on today is life after the tough stuff. I have the privilege of working with so many women. We're doing a workshop here in Nashville right now. And literally yesterday, Ashley, in the conversations I had, somebody losing a dad to suicide, losing parents to cancer, you know, struggles with foster children. I mean, so many, everyone, everyone in life, even if you're not going through something right this minute, there's just the day-to-day things that can cause so much heartache and struggle for all of us. We want to focus on what life looks like right after that happens and then a little bit out and then a little bit further out. That's the direction we're going. So Ashley, share in whatever detail or not detail you want what 
your story has been like for you and a little bit about what it is. So my husband and I got a call pretty randomly one day to become parents. And at that time, so I'm just going to go dive right in. Please do. (laughs) Right into that part of our story. We, at that time, were not trying to have children. We were not interested in being foster parents. We weren't. No part of us. You weren't actively looking to be a foster parent. Like you hadn't signed up on anything? No. I didn't know that. Yeah. So we, we weren't foster parents. So we had no desire to have children at that time. At that time, my company, The Shine Project, was probably a year and a half old. We had just graduated from college. I was 25. My my husband, Mike, had gotten his first job out of school. Um, we were doing okay, but we were young and trying to build careers. We'd mm-hmm. only been married for a couple of years, and that just wasn't on our radar. What had happened was my sister had moved out of state and through her move, met these two kids. And these two kids were introduced to us a year before we got the phone call. And when I met them the very first time, um, the little girl at that time was three and she called me mom. It was the first time that we had met her. And when that happened and with our experience with the kids, the first time we met them a year before the phone call, I, this something just moved within me that that I had just met two people that I always knew and was supposed to know again on earth. I can't explain it more than that. So we met these two kids a year before the phone call. And during that next year, we would go visit my sister and we would go visit the kids. And so we established a relationship and I knew that we needed to be involved in their lives, but I didn't know what extent really that meant. But I knew that we were people who were going to give them love and help mentor them in whatever capacity that looked like. So we got a phone call um, from one of their biological family members who said that they wanted a better life for the kids, who, no, who now at the time were four and six years old, and they asked if we would raise them. And it was one of those really weird moments that I don't really talk about a lot, but I had felt that I had been prepared, even though that that was not on my radar, that I had been prepared my entire life to say yes to that question because it helped finish the story of the four of us of bringing us all back together. Yeah. And so when the question came of, will you raise these children? There wasn't a hesitation. It was, yes. Like every part about it was just right and real and true and good. And which made the yes so easy. So we became a family and we had every intention and every thought that for the rest of forever, we were going to be a family. There was nothing that... Well, that's what had been asked of you by, been, by the family. That had been asked of us. Yeah. Uh, we became permanent permanent guardians. So we had permanent legal guardianship through the courts. Mm-hmm. And the way that our lives were is that the four of us were, in every sense of the word, functioning as a family. So a couple of years after... We were together as a family. My husband and I knew that it was time to take the next steps to finalize a permanent adoption. We had permanent guardianship. And so logically, the next step is to have an adoption where there's just more stability and just uh, the kids deserve to be settled. We deserve to be settled. That was just the next logical step. We didn't think anything of it. So as those papers were filed, uh, we had an upcoming court date. And one night I went to the mailbox to get the mail. 
and there was a letter from one of the judges at from the juvenile court and I thought that it had to do with our upcoming hearing date and it didn't and when I opened the mail that moment I'll never forget because that's when our lives really started changing I read the letter and the letter said that our guardianship was being revoked and we had a court date that was sooner than um, the first scheduled court date that we were supposed to have. And I remember opening that letter and feeling this sense of just sheer terror. I can't explain it, but it was almost like I was in a situation where I was watching my children in the street or just something, seeing danger come at them and not being able to go save them from it. That's the feeling that I felt. And I ran over to our sink and I just collapsed. I was throwing up. I was sobbing. My husband had to uh, hold me up from behind and everything changed from that moment. So after that, after our guardianship was taken away, what, what had happened was the biological family contested our adoption. And because of that, for the next year and a half, we would find ourselves in court fighting to keep our family together. The fights that then ensued, you know, when you hear that court is horrible and especially custody battles and things are horrible, but I I can't really put into words how horrific it was to live in fear every single day, not knowing if our family was going to be together or not the next day. It was also weird though, because during that time I got really sick from just anxiety and everyday fear, but I also had this really deep sense of peace and hope and like a knowledge that things would be okay and that this was just the trial that we needed to get through so that our family could be safe and together. And so although it was so hard and we were drugged through court and my name was tarnished in court and people from the state were now involved in our lives and everything that we did was watched, I couldn't tell anybody that we were even in a court custody battle. Um, the kids' lives and were turned upside down. your livelihood depends on you essentially being public online. Yeah, meanwhile, I'm running, trying to run the yeah. Shine Project where we are online, and suddenly the kids disappeared, and I got accused of crazy things once our kids stopped appearing on social media for a year, but I literally couldn't say anything, oh and, and that was okay, but you know, we dealt with harder stuff than that, but it just kind of added to the mess of what was happening, and... But I still, you know, just had this deep hope. Well, logically, we've always been a family. We're going to be a family, so it's going to be okay. To finish that part of our story was after a year and a half, I had stopped traveling for work because it gave us really bad anxiety to to be apart from each other. But in January every year, we had a big, we have a big trade show that was really important that I showed up at. And I was almost wanting to just rebel against everything that was going on and take control of just one piece of my life to try to live as normally as possible and be like, hey, I'm going to go do this thing because court and all of this madness isn't going to tr- control everything. And then I'll come back. It'll be okay. And um, so that was in January 2017. And the next month was our full week of trial that we were supposed to have to finally end everything one way or another to figure out what was happening in the lives of of the kids. So I leave on this work trip and a week before I left, an emergency court hearing had been called and it makes me like breathless even talking about it. But this hearing had been called and I I was just assured so many times that it was going to be okay, that it was just in preparation for the trial. So I went to Atlanta for work. We were living in Phoenix at that time. And Mike went to court alone and we had been very upset because of decisions that had been made in our case that weren't even 
legally sound, just so many things had happened. And, and so we had our attorney tell the judge that we had had enough and that we didn't want to play a role in damaging the children's lives anymore and that they needed to, they needed to stop what they're doing and figure it out. <clears throat> and as a result of things that happened that day in court, Mike called me after the court hearing and he said, Ashley, um, the kids are being returned. And um, the next part is that they're being returned tomorrow and they're not giving you time to come home and say goodbye. And so I was on the other side of the country, unable to protect my children, although thousands of times before that I had promised them that I always would and that it was all just going to be okay. And I was just there and they had no idea what was going to happen the next day. Uh, we were under court order that we couldn't tell them what was going on. And I was told that I could write my kids a goodbye letter. And so that night in Atlanta, I sat on my bed upstairs just... It was like I wasn't... It was like an outer body experience. I was trying to even understand what was happening because they were my kids and then they were just being taken. Like how... It just nothing made sense. And so I somehow wrote them goodbye letters and then I FaceTimed them. Uh, for one last time. But I had wanted their last memory of me to be good. So um, I didn't make it very long on the phone. But I remember that my little girl, by this time, they're eight and 10 years old. They'd been with us over half their lives. And we were, you know, the family that they knew to be their family. And my little girl um, was so happy. She said, she kept saying, Daddy took us to McDonald's twice today. Can you even believe it? Can you even believe it? And she was so excited about it. I always think about that because it, it breaks my heart because I knew what she didn't know. I knew that he, he had, you know, taken them to McDonald's and done all the things they wanted to do because um, that was the last night that he was going to spend with them. And there was nothing uh, that either of us could do to protect him from what was going to happen the next day when my husband was told to drop them off at school. And then they were picked up by state workers and taken to a hotel room to meet a biological family member and told the news that they weren't ever going to be coming back home. When I had left to Atlanta the night before, my little girl couldn't sleep. And she, I, so I stayed up. I don't know why, but I just felt like I should stay up with her. So we were up like two hours past her bedtime. And she kept telling me, Mommy, I just, I just have this really bad feeling. I just feel like I'm not going to see you for a really long time. And I don't want you to leave. And I just kept promising her that I'd be back in three days. That it was going to be okay. And that she could talk to me and FaceTime anytime she needed me even if that was at school or wherever, and I had promised to be back in three days. And then when they dropped me off at the airport, she said again, her and my son were both crying. It was like almost like they just knew something. And she just said, Mommy, I'm not going to see you for a long time. And she, she was right. And so that, um, that is when our lives, you know, they, our lives changed really quickly when we became parents overnight, as any parent's lives change. Um, and then it drastically changed again last year when, when we lost our kids. So this was a year, a year ago or a year and a half ago? A year and a half ago. A year and a half ago. So what do you do? <sighs> right? Like, what do you, so you're in Arizona and you're in the house where they used to be. So not at first, um, at first, so when everything happened, I was in Atlanta, mm. and um, I couldn't get home in time, and so we bought a, f a flight for Mike to come and meet me in Nashville. Um, a, the, one of the people I was with in Atlanta lived in Nashville, and so the next day, they drove me up to Nashville 
after Mike dropped off the kids at school, he got on a plane and he came and met me in Nashville. Um, that morning, Mike had had to pack up all of their things too. So the only remaining things of the kids that were in the house were like their beds and their dressers and a couple of things that we ended up finding as we were packing other things up. But I knew that if I went straight home, I, I mean, I just couldn't. And so at that point, we were still in this state of just shock. Like, yeah. And I think you kind of start bargaining at first. Like something I told myself was, okay, it's going to be okay because they know my phone number and they can talk to me or they... Like, it will just, it has to be okay, or maybe they can come spend summers with us, or, like, that just couldn't be it, right? Like, how could that be it? So the first couple of weeks, we were just in this state of, I think, bargaining, because the reality of everything was too hard to, um, to come, to be able to face head on. So we spent a couple days in Nashville, and it, was this weird thing because I had had some employees out in Nashville, um, but there was really nothing else for us out here. We didn't have family out here. Mike's company at that time was based in LA. But while we were in Nashville, we knew that very quickly, I just had this feeling that we had to make some very quick decisions so that we would be able to continue to move forward in our lives. And while we were in Nashville, we felt just this really strong sense that we needed to move to Nashville. And I don't know if I necessarily recommend making such a drastic decision during the biggest crisis, you know, that you go through in your life. But for us, it felt really right to make a really big move. It's like something really big had just happened and we needed to counteract it with yeah. something so we could keep functioning. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's, what do I know? But like, I don't think there's any right or wrong in experiencing your trauma. Yeah, you do what you you do what you can when you're in it. <laughs> There's the only wrong is I think not allowing yourself to do what you need to do to survive. Yeah. It's insane to me how much more heartache we can put on ourselves trying to figure out the right way to experience trauma. The right way, yes. Like there's some magic right way to make that horrific of an experience correct in some way. It's like a masochistic thought. Yes, it's just, it's not possible. Well, like you say it out loud and it's insanity. So this is a year and a half ago. You get this feeling to move to Nashville. And like we were saying... You know, you follow that up with, I don't know if it's good to make that big of a decision, but I kind of think the insight is, I was here in Nashville for one day, and of course I'm thinking of you because you're here now, and I was like, Ashley was a freaking genius for moving to Nashville. I mean, it's an amazing. It's just such an amazing place. A bright city, and there's so much going on, and it's so different, and I I don't know why I'm so bold as to think I know things. Why do I always think I know things, right? But I was like, oh, this was the perfect place to come. It was. And so I feel like a lesson to take from Ashley is you trusted your intuition even in that darkest place. And even after almost you could say, I have a hard time not feeling sometimes like my intuition betrayed me. Like, and whether that intuition for you manifests as intuition, the universe or God, right? But 
sometimes it can feel like I trusted in it before and it didn't result. So can I trust it again? But I just think that says so much about you and who you are and strength that maybe you didn't even realize was there that you continued to move in that intuition. I think that for me, you know, if we're talking about, well, these, these things happen in our lives, but then what do, what do we do with that's, it? That's my question. I'm like, what do you, what like, do you, what do, do, you do, do, right? What do you do? And for us in that moment, I think that our next step had to be given to us in those first couple of days when we were still in shock and I was still bargaining and everything was just kind of like this outer body experience where this cannot really be happening. Yeah. Because once we got home and reality and hell settled in for the next several weeks, months, and now a year and a half, the decisions that we've made have felt less clear because it's been clouded by so much grief. Yeah. And and so in the beginning, though, when we were still in the shock, I was able to still, we were able to have a little bit of clarity still, which then led to us moving to Nashville. So when we got home, um, it took us a little bit to figure out what we were going to do with our house in Phoenix, but we ended up selling all of our belongings. Every We had an estate sale of our house, and that was really hard because I was watching people just take stuff out that we had collected as a family, you know, and then I had to leave the house when I saw them bring my little girls and my little boys' beds downstairs because, you know, it was just like this bed that now someone else just bought for whatever they bought it for, and it was just leaving like it was nothing, and that was that was devastating. And after that happened... How did you just, decide to do it like that, to have an estate sale, to just sell everything? I didn't know what else to do. Something something that was really important to me is I kept trying to figure out what do we need to hold on to. And I have a therapist and she always tells me, what do you carry with you and what do you let go of? And I was trying to figure that out. And a lot of the things that we had in our house, had we carried them with us, there were too many memories attached to them to allow us to be able to go to a new place and not have every corner and every smell and every, you know, sight of anything just not totally destroy us. And it wasn't that Mm -hmm. we wanted to move on, but we needed to move forward. And so upstairs in our closet right now, we have what was left of what the kids had. So we had found some drawings and I had, I had kept folders of some of their schoolwork and their drawings. I had found, um, when we were packing to sell everything, a couple of their t-shirts that were randomly in my laundry, which Mm -hmm. ended up to be great because now I have a couple of their t-shirts and just little things. So we have one closet in our house that is filled with their things and it's also filled with letters that I now write them and little mementos that I find when we go on trips that I would have bought them had they been here that that we collect and keep for them and so I just had to figure out how do I keep moving forward mm-hmm. and that was that was the only th- solution that we could come up with thank you so much for sharing those specific ideas because it's the specific ideas like continuing to buy them souvenirs that I know other people will hear and will give them like an action item that they could maybe apply to their own situation, whatever that situation is. And so you mentioned you had a counselor and I think if you're okay with it, I would love to hear what type of 
um, emotional, mental, spiritual, any type of support that you um, either sought out or did you have a counselor when you were going through the trial? I just think it's really important for people to understand like the tools they need to equip themselves with rather than just not. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, you know, sometimes we get we feel shame or if we, we feel afraid or we feel weak if we want to ask for help. During the trial, that was really hard because I didn't have a counselor during that time because every amount of energy was spent protecting the kids. And, yeah. and there was so much that went along with that. And also, it, had I gone to a counselor, that would have been disclosed in court and then it would have been used against oh me. And then, so just all these things, like I couldn't yeah. get any personal help. It was crazy. But then when they left, probably for the first month, I can't explain what it felt like other than I felt like someone had dug a really deep hole and then just put me in it and covered me back up with dirt and just kept me in it alive. Like that's what I felt like every day, but I was still alive and I was still having to figure out how to keep like breathing and living and I didn't want honestly I didn't want to be living anymore but I was and I was just there and so I had to figure out how to keep going and so the first month two three months was just me like just like being there trying to figure out how to just be there while buried alive and during that time I got really sick and I knew I needed help and so I had four doctors in the beginning helping me one was an EMDR therapist who I still use. Another was a natural, uh, I can never say it, naturopathic doctor to help yeah. me because I wasn't able to eat and stuff. And I was in a lot of stomach pain a lot. So trying to help me figure out what I should be eating or what vitamins I could take to supplement things, things like that. And then I had just a regular doctor. So I just had these people who I thought, okay, these are the components of my life that I really need help in right now. And I, I need to get that help so that I can function again. And so that's what seeking help looked like for me in the beginning and since then. So just to break that down, it was really focusing on can you get food into your body? Can you sleep at night? Can you breathe? Yes. Are you in physical pain and discomfort? And is there anything we can do? It's really almost like going to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and going to the base of the pyramid. The base of it. And it's food, shelter, like the basics yes. and really not allowing or trying to take yourself to even heal or go even farther than those basics. And I, and how hard is that as humans? Because, yeah. you know, and me coming from someone who has worked really hard her whole life for things and who was running these two different companies and functioning who, at an insanely high level, providing the shine project provides jobs for inner city youth and helps them first generation go to college and having all these employees who yeah. still had jobs with me. And then also having the time freed up from not being a physical mother anymore. I just, I went from functioning on such a high level to completely crashing. And at first it was like, I, again, just couldn't fathom what was going on. But then I also, I didn't want to be there. Like I wanted to be healed. <laughs> like I, um, I didn't, yes. I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want that, but I, I, I couldn't even eat or sleep or not be in pain all the time. And so it brought me back to the most humble beginning of of realizing man this this is going to be a long i mean this yeah. is going to be a rest of my life fight this is this isn't something that's ever going to go away but 
I have hope that there are things I can do so that I can still feel joy and experience happiness in my life while also simultaneously feeling like crap. Yeah. Physically, would you lay in bed? Would you watch TV? Like, what did it, like, what did the actual day look like? So the actual day, I remember one time I was FaceTiming my naturopath doctor. I couldn't get out of bed. I was just like, my face, I swear when she looked at me, she was like, she just knew. She was like, oh my gosh. I looked like, I don't even look like a human. I can't even, I can't explain it. But um, so some days it looks like me literally just being in bed all day. Yeah. Or what was really hard when we were in Arizona those first few months is that any corner I turned while driving, any grocery store I went into, any road I passed that passed the school or the soccer fields, or a friend's house, or the dance studio, or whatever, sent me into this spiral. And so leaving my house was painful. So, you know, I literally, there would be just weeks where I, I wouldn't go anywhere. And I would just, I would just be, I would just be in my house, just trying to figure out how to literally just breathe and survive. And that was all I could do. And during that time, Thank you so much for sharing that because the hardest part, and this is nowhere near a similar situation, but one of the hardest parts for me after getting hit was leaving the hospital and like nobody gave me any specific instructions on mm-hmm. what to do. Yes. And they're like, move, but don't move. Yes. And it was like, do I sit in a chair? Do I lay on a bed? Do yeah. I like, I need you to just ignore tell the me. pain? How much pain should I be in? How much? Like, Mm-hmm. There's like, there's no specific amount yes. of anything. And so even though it's a completely different situation in no way would I compare my, tra- right? We can't compare traumas, but, but traumas, 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 trauma and the lack of instructions <laughs> yes. was my hell. Yes. Like, it was my hell, the lack of instructions. And so I apologize if the questions I asked seem odd, but it's like, Okay, for Ashley, after her trauma, physically, just not moving. And for me, I like couldn't watch TV. And now I can look back and I was in shock. I had a brain injury. Yes. Like an actual brain injury. I literally just laid there. I think sometimes when you're functioning, you hear someone saying, I just laid there. You're like, what is that? Like, No, I just laid there. And so how long were you in... Arizona before you moved to Nashville? Like, what was that timeline? You were there in Arizona, you sold your belongings, and then... Five months. Five months. Yeah. So we moved to Nashville. So that first period of healing, you have doctors, you have a counselor at this point. Yeah, I had two, I had two, two counselors. I had a psychologist and a psychiatrist, actually. Good, smart. Mm -hmm. So somebody can prescribe you medication as needed. Yes, but then the medication was making me really sick and making my sleep even worse. So there was a lot going on. Yeah. There's lots going on. Let's go now out about seven or eight months. I don't want to give you a time frame, but now looking back, can you see any sort of shift or, and then something happened and... Yeah. So, and then we're about eight months out if we want to go to that time frame. And I shifted, I felt the shift of becoming even harder than I had been the past eight months. I shut down even more than I had been shut down the past eight months. It was like, best way I can describe it is we go through pain. None of us, none of us are exempt from pain in our lives. 
So we experienced like what I call our ultimate loss because I don't know what loss I could experience that's that's greater than the loss of my children. Like so I just I call it our ultimate loss. So we go through the ultimate loss and the loss that lives in uncertainty. And uncertainty. It's not there's no closure. And that's like I just said, my hell is lack of instructions, yeah. which is uncertainty. Yes. Because I need control. And it is a loss of uncertainty. Yes. And so we went through that. And so in my mind, right, if the universe, if God, if whatever you believe is there, then in my mind, well, if that being loves me, then what's going to happen next is I'm going to be protected from more pain so that I can so that I can just keep living or, or so that maybe things can come around and there can be a different type of redemption or so that I don't I don't know what I thought but I really just wanted this red freaking carpet to roll out and cover all of the quicksand and holes and cracks that had come up in our life and allow me to just be just to just I don't know like that's what I thought like, right it couldn't possibly get worse no it couldn't it's like it's like having broken limbs and then being kicked in the face. Yeah, right? and then your face is broken. Yeah. Yeah, and so I, I don't talk about this or the details of this, but after we lost the kids, everything else also just kind of went to crap. And there were things that happened in my business that I was so not anticipating from people who betrayed me, who I'd been trusting to work um, for me, to my husband, um, the job that he had wanted us to relocate to LA, but we knew we needed to come to Nashville. So he lost his job during all of this and everything. We had just loved our fam, like just everything that we had had, every piece of our life as we had known it previously to that year was just not only gone, but had blown up in such a destructive way that we were just there like trying to find the limbs to our body parts that had just been, you know, obliterated. 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 And here's what I absolutely appreciate and love is I'm like eight months later and then you're like, it got worse. (laughs) It did. It got, oh, eight months later, thanks for bringing it up, Allison. <laughs> it got worse. It got worse. So now I want to ask, Ashley shared with me an email that she recently received. And I asked Ashley if she would share this and she felt comfortable sharing it. And I think now this takes us, and then we can bring ourselves to current day, what your tools are now for surviving each day, how you're feeling now. But I think this is really interesting because this email and this thought process lives in the time of immediate trauma and judging ourselves in trauma, judging other people in trauma. And I just think it's a really eye-opening question that we can all ask ourselves, are we doing this? So I just the other day had opened my inbox on Instagram and I read this message and um, this very kind follower of mine, you know, told me about some hard things that she's going through. And so then after that, she said this, she said, I owe you an apology. I followed you for a while and always thought, oh my gosh, I can't imagine how bad she's hurting. But I also thought, at least she has a comfy life to fall back on and recover in. And I am so sorry. I was so wrong. And now I see. It moves me so much because she didn't owe you that apology because she didn't like come out 
and yell at you or, but even so she's like a beautiful human and knowing Mm -hmm. that people like her exist is so beautiful to me. But also that how many of us have done that? Mm -hmm. And I really believe it's not that she's trying to mitigate or minimize your pain or suffering, but we're trying to, to distance ourselves because we don't want that to be a reality that could happen to us. Yes, and we try to negotiate. As I was thinking about it, we we want to think, man, this really bad thing happened, but they have this or so it's this. Okay. So, it's, so it's okay. So it doesn't have to be the as bad fair. as the reality of it is. And what I have learned, though, if we're going to move forward a year yeah. and a half to where I am now, is that you guys, sometimes things just aren't okay, and that's okay. And we can't fix it all. And no matter how many prayers we pray or no matter how many hopes we have or dreams we have, um, sometimes they just don't come together how we want them to. And I live with a hope that that just has to mean that my story isn't over yet, that our stories aren't over yet, and we just have to live there. So do you think it's going to be okay? I have to hope that it will be. So I just feel like... If Ashley can walk around hoping it's going to be okay, the rest of us can walk around hoping it's going to be okay, right? And, and I don't, I don't say that lightly. I don't no. say that to say I didn't ask it lightly. Right? No, <laughs> yeah, right. No, but I just, I want to make sure that you who are listening, that whatever you're going through, that you don't think I'm saying, patting you on the back and just saying, sister, like it's just going to be okay. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I am so sorry for whatever it is that you are going through right now, and I get it. And it's okay that it's not okay. And I also live with a hope that someday it will be. That is so beautiful. So many tears, just in case anyone was wondering how many tears were happening over here. <laughs> just in case anyone was wondering, I've ruined Ashley's beautiful wooden table with like a puddle of tears. I have a coaster for my drink, but I should have gotten a coaster for my tears. <laughs> it's okay that it's not okay. But I live with the hope that it will be okay. Can you put it on a t-shirt? Let's do it. Can you put it on your book, Ashley? I mean, just give us three things that somebody else could do. Okay. Even, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be staring at the wall. I mean, really, right? Okay. Three things you could do. You can allow yourself to grieve or uh, you, you allow yourself to have permission to feel whatever it is you feel. I think that was one of the biggest things is like you have to stop projecting on yourself what you should be feeling or how you should be reacting or how now you're falling behind and all these other. No, it's like stop and you have to be and feel exactly as you're feeling. So that was the first thing was giving yourself permission to just be and feel as you are. The second thing was I didn't do this and I wish I would have listened more closely, but I've done it in other ways. Right before we lost the kids, I had the weirdest feeling and I wrote it down in my journal and I never write in a journal, but I wrote down, if you lose your children, you need to make sure that you go out of your way at least once a day to go and find someone else who needs love. And I didn't know what that meant at that time. And it was like the most bizarre thing. So I was like, I got really mad at myself for even going to a place. Well, I'm not going to, why would I lose my children? And that's, um, but something that has helped me is 
to be able, and for a while I couldn't do this. So I'm not saying you, you're in the middle of this. Not right away. And then, no, yeah. no, right? But at some point, and I'll explain it this way. We hit the year of losing our kids and my mom called me and she said, Ashley, before this, there were so many people living in pain and we didn't know. And now we know. And so now you have to take what you know and it's your privilege and opportunity and responsibility and also part of your healing journey to go and love other people who need you because you know, you now know how to see them. You now have these new glasses where you see people in life in such a different way and you see the people who are hurting who no one else can see because they don't have the same glasses that you have. And I hate I hate so much that it took losing my kids to have this new lens of life given to me. Um, but now that I have it, I can't just pretend that it's not there. And, and so that's something that really has helped me is just trying to go find people who need to be found and seen and just sit there, not fix them, but just sit there and be there with them and say, I'm so sorry. And I understand what you're going through. And I'm just going to be right here with you as you go through it. It's like a really horrible club that when something happens to you and somebody reaches out, you're like, oh, they're in the club. They get it. It's They get it. I'm writing about this right now in my book and I call it the club of life. Oh my gosh, are you serious? And that's the only way you can be welcomed into it and live in it. You're such a genius. I cannot wait for your book. I haven't even told people, but I'm writing a book. So that's, there we go. And then I go, Ashley, I'm writing a book. She's like, well, so are you writing it? And I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) But let's talk about it for an hour. Because life is hard. (laughs) Okay. Um, Those are so good. One, two. Do you have a third one? You don't have to. The third one. You know, yeah. The third one is that you need to do the best that you can to create new memories and to create life for yourself. And that can be really small. It can be like starting to go on dates again with your husband who your relationship has been put through the ringer for the past two years because you've been trying to protect your family. Or that can be you go travel, you save money and you go travel to a new place to experience. But there has to be a point where you say to yourself, I don't want to wake up 90 years old and regret never living because I felt too sad to live. And you choose to live anyway, regardless of feeling sad. And you understand that it might not ever go away but that you're going to choose to do your best to enjoy life and experience joy and create new memories regardless of any of that. And I think what I always want to do, and so I would love your advice on this, is I want to skip step number one, which is allow the feelings, accept the feelings, be in the feelings. And I just want to be at number three, which is I got my lessons, I got my tools, I'm in the club of life, I'm going to go live my life now. And then it's like, well, how do I allow myself what I need to feel? When do I know it's time to start living again? How did you, like, was it you just woke up? Was it little by little? It's it's still, I mean, you know, it's been 18 months and it's still. The other day, you'll see, I could show you after, but I walked over to the wall because I saw this ding in it and I was like, Mike, why is there a dent in our wall? And he said, well, because you threw the phone so hard at it. You threw your phone so hard at it yesterday that it made a dent in the wall. And I was like, oh my gosh, I did. And I tell you that to say, it's always going to be a choice that you have to make. I still get so mad. I still get so angry, so sad, so depressed, so full of anxiety that sometimes I don't know how I'm going to function. And in those times you have to feel it 
but then you also have to choose to get out of it or you can stay there forever and always. But then when you feel those emotions, you also can't beat yourself up for feeling them because they're healthy and you're human Mm -hmm. and it's just going to be. So what I have found is that I have had to learn how to live with both joy and sorrow at the same time. And I realized that for quite a while, I was trying to suppress any feeling from coming because I didn't want to feel sad anymore. But when I was blocking my sadness, that means I was blocking I was blocking everything. So if you block everything, that means you're also blocking all of the good things. So the only way I could feel joy in good things is if I also feel the bad things. And little by little, as we make little choices, we can learn how to live with both. What would you say have been your favorite things to do to help you when you're in that sorrow and you can feel that it's time to transition so you don't stay stuck yes. in it. So like transition tools almost. Okay. I just made that word, that phrase up. I don't know if it's a thing. We're going to talk about transition yeah. tools because I love that. Tools. Here's your transition tools. Yes. <laughs> you heard so it. I wipe the snot from you my You heard face. it here first. Yes. Uh, in my next book, in my first book. <laughs> um. Number one is boxing. We had to find a new hobby and we had to find a way to get ourselves like moving out of bed. I'm so jealous of your boxing because I I don't think with my injury that I can uh, do it, but I want to do a combat sport. You could do something though. I want to do like a combat. I have some anger in there. You got to get it out. (laughs) You got to get it out. I'd like to hit something. Yes. Yeah. But there's things like, I, you know, mind, body, spirit, they all come together and I was feeling so lousy and we had so much anger that boxing became not only a hobby that Mike and I could go find and do together. I love that you do it together. We do it it's together. Really we even have trainers now. Like we are fully in. This is We're in. so good. We just went, yeah, we go. Well, your body looks naughty. So, I mean, it always been working does. hard, you know, yeah. just trying to, but, um, but you know, if you have physical things that hold you back, finding something though that you can go move to express yourself and get oh, that energy out. so many out. things so I many can things. do. Yes. But I can give myself excuses of, I wanted to box, I can't, so I guess I can't do anything. Yeah, okay, and so no excuses. You BS. go find what yeah. you can do. It took me a while to be able to do that. It took me seven months before I was able to get active awesome. again. You awesome. know what? And that's okay. And if it takes you a year, it's okay. But you, yeah. you got to start like, okay, something needs to change after yeah. an amount of time, right? Um, and then something else that we try to do is we try to go to a new place every month. So whether, so a couple months after we lost the kids, we went to Europe for our very first time. And we went during Easter because that was just kind of a significant time. We just wanted to yeah. be on our own. But experiencing new things, experiencing new people. Traveling. Traveling. Even if it's you're driving an hour to go camping at a new place or whatever you can do to just go and kind of switch in an environment. Something it helped me see that there are so many people in this world and and just so many things that we can be a part of. And it made my world not feel so small and internalized. Oh, that is so beautiful. So that was helpful. And then we also, uh, sometimes this can be counterintuitive when you're going through something really hard is that 
for a while, I didn't want to be around anybody, so I wouldn't be. Um, but then it got to a point where we're like, you know what, we need to cultivate a community within our lives again. So moving to Nashville was really good because we didn't know anybody, so we had to meet people. And so it's been really important that- How did you meet people? We, How do you make friends? I know. Okay, guys, this is hard. It's not easy. As an adult. Yeah. We will literally invite people who we hardly know. We try to have dinner at our home at least once or twice a week where people- that we invite people in that we either met at the gym or at church or at wherever yeah. where we invite but them. You're go like here's the thing, right? You're putting yourselves in communities. Yes. So that's the first step. You're going to a church. I'm not saying you have to go to church, but you're going to some a place where people are. Yeah. Church or a boxing and, gym. But but again, this is where you have to be like, I need time. I I didn't go to church for a year and a half. After we lost the kids, I couldn't do it. Thank you for sharing that. I couldn't go. There were certain things I could not go do because families with children were there. I felt so isolated and alone that it wasn't just like, okay, I'm sad, so now I need friends. It was like this very long process of me putting myself where I could be at the time and taking the next step to to, to allow ourselves to heal in a way where it wasn't so isolating anymore. Yeah. When you invite other families over, do you invite families with children? Is that We do now for a while. Yeah. Um, It was, what was hard for for me were settings like church where everyone would be with their family and then it would just be me and Mike. So it wasn't hard if I was like with my friends and their kids because I love kids and I, and I'm so happy for them and their happy family, right? Like, but it was hard for me to be in situations where Mike and I would normally be as a family and other families were there and it made just our, it just, the impact of the loss just came so strong in those moments yeah. that I just couldn't be certain places so sometimes. So removing yourselves from places that normally you would expect yourself to be and giving yourself a break. And you have to give yourself a new normal. A new normal. Like, and what was normal, I think also takes a long time. Grieving takes a long time or hard things take a long time because you have to create this new normal and you want to get back into we these patterns that don't exist. We have an episode called Creating New Normals. Perfect. So, um, so go do that go, one. You can go do that one. Yeah. But that's that truly can be, I love how like that's like a year, year and a half out for you and everybody's on a different timeline. Yeah. And I think timelines are helpful because people like to have like an idea of where to wrap their brains around, but also we can't get so limited that we think, oh, it only took Ashley seven months. It's taken me 15 months. It it doesn't, it's all relative. My EMDR therapist, who is like one of the best in the world. EMDR um, is eye movement. What is the EMDR? I don't don't even know, but it it helps, it helps heal trauma. But she always tells me, because she works with police officers who've been through trauma. So many people have been through crazy trauma, but she says at least two years, it's going to take you just to be able to feel like you can breathe again. Two years. And we think, oh my gosh, that's so long and it is long, but you have to give yourself time. But also it's not 20 years. It's not. Right? So and it's, it's impossible. It yeah. yeah. Eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing. I've had that done. And yeah, I do think it's really helpful. So that's awesome um, that you've done that. So they said two years. Again, Ashley and I aren't doctors. We're just sharing our personal experiences. And Ashley, I just, I want to thank you so much for sharing your personal experience because honestly, just in having this conversation, you've helped me so much with some things that I'm trying to work through right now. 
I think I have one more hard question and then I have some easy questions. Okay. okay? And the hard question is to benefit any person, because I'm positive anyone listening to this episode is the type of person throughout the entire duration of hearing you wondering, how can I help somebody in my life? How can I help somebody who has gone through something like this, is going through something, even if it's not to this level, like, you know, a week after, a month after, right now, even, what are the best ways people have helped you? Oh my gosh. I think this question is so important. And again, before this happened, I didn't know. And I've realized that some of the things I've done in the past were not the right things to do. And so but we try our best. best. We try our best. But here's what I here's what we needed. Um, we needed people to just show up. Like and no matter how many times I told them no or anything, like we just needed people just to show up, just to come by our doorstep and just to sit with us. They didn't need to say anything just to be there. Or something that was hard is in the beginning, some of my friends literally didn't know how to respond. And so they just didn't. And yeah. and I can't hold that against them because they didn't know. But right? I, that was me before my dad was diagnosed with cancer. I was so worried about doing the wrong thing yes. that I did nothing. And I think we all do uh-huh. that. And I think nothing is one of the hardest things for your friend to have you do. And so you just do something. And a lot of times the something is that you can't fix it. You have to know you can't fix it, but you can show up and you can just be there and hug her and keep showing up. And six months later, you ask, you know, you ask how she's doing that day. Something that is the today really helps. Not just how are you, but how are you today? What do you need today? Can just making it be this today thing that you're going to show up and go give something just support it's so funny how just adding that word yeah and something that started happening to me is people would see me up and around and they would say so it looks like you're all healed (laughs) and I didn't know how to I don't want to go into it but then you know me I can't give you part of the story right so I think just that question that a more helpful question is to assume nothing and it's how are you today? Today. Because right I think now. that today, I really want to know how you're doing today. And it's actually easier to answer. Yes. Because like this philosophical existential, how are you? Who are you? Right. You know. It's too much. And it's especially too much. if you're going through a hard t- thing, it's like, well, do you really want to know? And I also knew, you know, there are some people too who I would see out and about who, who never had reached out. And they would ask me in public places, well, how are you doing? And I'd get so mad because I'd be like, if you really cared about how I was doing you would have been on my doorstep so don't ask me right now and you know and that's me because again people are doing the best they can but and you're doing the best you can when you're already so hurt right and so we just so that's what I would recommend you just keep showing up and also you know if there's someone really close even if they're not super close you write down important days did they lose someone when's that person's birthday or when's the year mark or when's the six months mark or what are those hard holidays that they need someone to show up and acknowledge that they are in pain because sometimes that's all people need they just need to be acknowledged that their pain is being acknowledged and that they're being seen. Somebody gave me that advice for my sister-in-law. We lost our nephew and they said, write down his birthday, set a reminder in your phone for the six months and having reminders in my phone for those special days. So thank you so much because I haven't 
thought to share that, but somebody shared that with me and it is, I feel better knowing I at least have an action plan yeah. in place to be helpful. And it can be so simple. Yeah. The other thing, sorry, I feel like I could talk for this forever because well, I this didn't know. Well, this follow-up podcast okay. because really <laughs> this is something that I have intended to talk about more and write more about. And so, but even just those two things, you show up, how are you today? I don't necessarily like people in my space. Mm-hmm. So I freak out if people show up with the expectations. And so I think that Ashley is right, show up, but then follow up with sometimes people don't actually physically want you there. But the, like I had people who would show up, stop by, and leave something on the leave doorstep. Leave something. Yeah. And even knowing that they had come and left it on the doorstep and were okay that I couldn't come to the door because after babies, even my postpartum anxiety, like I can't physically make eye contact with people knowing they cared, they came. And so don't think that it's a failure if you don't go and sit and you cry together or something. Right. And also I had people who showed up, who got in the door, who then I cried with and they left. And I thought, that's not what I needed right now. Mm. I shouldn't have let myself think I had to let them get the tears out of me, you know? And so if you're in pain, I think being okay to keep the door shut. Yes. You get to choose. You get to choose. Yes. That is so helpful. Okay, Ashley, I'm going to ask you some easier questions now. Okay, I'm ready. But before we do that, thank you again. Thank you. I want you guys to find The Shine Project on Instagram, and I want you to go and... Leave a comment. Do you want them to leave a comment on a post because that's easier? Or sure. leave a comment yeah. on her most recent post. And say hi. And say hello and tell her um, that you listened to the episode and tell her something from it that meant something to you because I know that's what's going to mean the most to Ashley. Did I make Thank that you. up? Did I assume no, that? No, that's, that's actually awesome. So I would go, love to know. Go over and, and tell her how her story helped you and just that you love her and just look at how beautiful she is because she's really hot. <laughs> yes. So it, it, I always tell Ashley, I'm like, I know you look beautiful in pictures and then I get you in person and I'm always like, you're so attractive. Like, <laughs> it's just, you're breathtaking. You really are. You're and so nice. it's neither here nor there. I think it's truly the light that shines from within you, but you're also just a babe, you know? You're nice. So what's a product, a book, or something that you love that you've just been talking about lately? It could be a recipe that you've made, like just something that the last few friends you've talked to, you've been like, oh, I love this. Oh my gosh. I know. It's a funny question, huh? Okay. I am obsessed with Madewell jeans. (gasps) Me too. Obsessed. And I don't get obsessed about like a lot. I love the high-waisted go like because they have the is it the they should sponsor this post the 11 inch inseam yeah I think they even have a 12 they have a 13 something it's something I I get asked a lot about my jeans and I'd say like all my jeans are made well except for the free people jeans I'm wearing right now yeah all I wear is made well jeans now and they make your tush look they do but I will say they're they're not the best quality sometimes I've had multiple pairs rip have you but I keep buying I haven't I haven't had they that yet. They fit really well. You know what? She tried to tell me that they ripped because they were too big. So I bought a size down, two pairs, <laughs> right before I got hit. And oh. then I couldn't exercise. And oh. uh, so then I had to give them to Nichelle. But it's fine because she looks really good. Because she looks them, good so. at them. And I went and bought bigger pairs. And they're like, get the size down. I was like, no, I got hit by a car. And they're looking at me like, why are you telling us this story? And I was like. Because it's important. I don't know how else to tell you. Okay. <laughs> We would love to play, we can legally play 30 seconds of a pump-up song. 
Oh. So what's a pump-up song? And it doesn't, it's just whatever pump-up means to you. Eric's pump-up songs are so depressing. So like whatever pump-up means to you or like a healing song, yeah. anything. Okay, well, my I'm going to tell you mine and my little girl song that pumped us up and it's Roar by Katy Perry. <gasps> it's like our, our song. So if I go speak anywhere too, that's what I walk out on stage to is Roar. I close with Roar usually. Stop. Yes! Of course you do. Like... But that song... Of course you do. I love it, too. Yeah. Okay, we're going to... Okay, there it is. There it is. A signature dance move. Oh, one signature dance move. I want to oh. Just, is there like a go-to move you feel good doing? One move. I don't know. I, you know, I was telling or, Allison. Or when what's she, your dance philosophy? Okay, here's the you thing. Know? I love honky-tonking. I told Allison when she came here, she had to go honky-tonking. I don't understand what honky-tonking is. They're honky-tonks. They're, They're called honky-tonks. So you go honky-tonking at the honky-tonks. And is honky-tonking, you're just kind of hopping from bar you're to hopping. bar. You're hopping. People, most people are drinking a lot. Live I don't music. drink. So I'm just, da- we're dancing. Yeah. I love dancing like a freaking maniac while honky-tonking. I don't have a specific dance move because it's just all over the place. Well, you're just being my, moved. My dad has this move called the horse where he like lassos his arm above his head <laughs> and he'll go the whole dance floor out in public smacking his own butt with the other hand. And so that's kind of something that we've adapted when we want to get really hyped. Someone will start chanting, horse, 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 horse. <laughs> and then someone, usually me, will... <sighs> will l- do my dad's honor dance which is the lasso and the butt smack and so there you go it's the horse i guess we're i didn't want to say it but it's the horse we're gonna do it in honor <laughs> i'm gonna start incorporating it into my, my repertoire okay what are the best ways for people to get more of you Ooh. where do you want them to come and find you i you know i'm on all the things but instagram is my it's just my favorite that's where i love to come connect with you guys and love to share good, bad, hard parts of my life through through writing and, and photos and video. So you shared a really beautiful video recently and you read some voiceover and it was just oh, yeah. really beautiful. Oh, thank you. I loved that so Thanks. much. That's nice. Ashley is a phenomenal writer. Her writing speaks to my heart every time. It's like too good for Instagram. It is, but I appreciate that it's there. And so it's the Shine Project. On Instagram. And also, she has a really, really cute clothing shop, Ashley Lynn. It, it is cute. It's really cute. Lie. And you link to it from... <laughs> from the... Yeah. And you wear a lot shop. of your stuff. And so you're just making it easy for people. And then they can also buy Joy from The Shine Project to support your amazing organization yes. there. So if you want to just support somebody like Ashley, who is living a beautiful life and sharing her story so that we can all benefit and heal... Those are the things you can do to support her. And Ashley, again, I just want to thank you. This was the most beautiful, and I love you so much. Thank you. I love you more. This was like oh, a I dream. I love you so, so much. Yay! <laughs> I mean, I walked around the neighborhood listening to that today, 
And I texted Ashley and I said, you just created something amazing. And honestly, if my platform is <laughs> one that can share something like that, I just have to take a step back and be grateful that I have you here listening, that I have friends like Ashley who are so insightful and beautiful and willing to share and just be grateful for all the beauty that is in this world. Even, you know, there's a lot of hard things. The, the country is in turmoil. There's a lot of national and weather disasters happening right now. And I just really love what Ashley, the message she has to put into the world right now. And I'm so grateful to her for sharing that with us. I'm so grateful to you that you're here, that you're listening, because what we are trying to do here is help you, give you tools if you are going through a trauma, a loss, or a healing right now, or like Ashley and I talked about, if you are not someone you know definitely is. And I love how Ashley talked about go out there and find someone. And she looks for someone every day. And since I talked to her, I have been trying to do that too. So if I could just leave you with that, what can you do today for yourself or someone else? And imagine if we all took action on that. We have like over 100,000 people listening to podcasts now. Can you imagine? Like if everyone took action on that, it would be amazing. I love you. You're doing phenomenal. You're strong. It's going to be okay. I'm, I'm so grateful that you took time time to listen to this today. I want to remind you that only you can be you and you're already as awesome as you need to be. Eric's going to take us out on a song. What do you got, babe? This is called Just Over Those Hills from our Triumph collection. Pleasant Pictures Music Club. You didn't even pimp your thing. Triumph Over Those Hills. <laughs>